listening to Shot Callers with Kyle Branding and Joe Micucci, part of the 48 Minutes Podcast Network. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Shot Callers presented by 48 Minutes Network. We got a special show for you tonight. It is part one of our trade deadline episode. We'll have part two out uh, tomorrow. And uh, on today's episode, we have a special guest with us. We have Jordan Bonji. What's up, Jordan? Hey, guys. Thanks for and having me on again. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is about to be a pretty, uh, pretty dark episode, I think. But uh, <laughs> we'll, see, uh, we'll see how this goes. And, of course, my good friend, Joe Micucci. What's happening, Joe? Hey, what's going on, fellas? So uh, on today's episode, um, we are about 24 hours away from the actual trade deadline, but we've had a lot of news and uh, a lot of news with both of your teams being the Kings and the Pacers. And that's where I want to start. Let's start off with the Pacers. We saw them make that first trade um, a few days back, moving Karis LeVert over to the Cavs, getting back Ricky Rubio getting back that lottery-protected 2022 first-round pick from the Cavs, which will definitely convey. They'll be able to use that pick this year. Getting Houston's 2022 second-round pick, I would say that that's probably somewhere in the 35 range, which is awesome. And Houston's 2027 second-round pick. They talked about that trade on uh, on the most recent episode of Benchmob, so go check that out. Uh, That was the first domino. And then we saw the big trade. We saw um, we saw Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson coming over to Indiana in a um, borderline blockbuster trade. So, Joe, I want to start with you. Tyrese Halliburton is uh, is now a Pacer. Uh, as, as someone that has followed you for many many years on Twitter, this this feels like peak Joe Twitter. This is this is about <laughs> as happy as I've seen you. How, how we doing? Uh, we are doing really well on uh, on the Joe front. Uh, I want to start though by giving the three of us a nice old pat on the back because when we gathered a couple weeks ago on this show, uh, Jordan, I think it was you specifically who was like, "Karis Levert is going to get traded." Like it, you were, you were very convinced that was going to happen. We talked in depth about why Karis Levert would be a good trade asset. We got that right. Uh, And then I said right at the end of our episode on last Friday, Kyle, a name I threw out there, Jeremy Lamb would be a part of Pacer trades. And lo and behold, he was a part of this Sacramento-Indiana trade. So kudos to us. Uh, Once again, we are right. I love being smart. Um, (laughs) But uh, to to get into this, really both the – I don't want to say both these trades, but I just want to share some quick thoughts on the Karis LeVert trade. This is really like the dust settling from the Victor Oladipo trade last trade deadline. That yielded a uh, pick from Houston um, when they got LeVert, and then they get these three additional picks from Cleveland. Pacers turned Victor Oladipo into four draft picks. Just really well done by Kevin Pritchard. Really hard to be upset about that final yield. Um, as far as this Sacramento, Indiana trade goes, uh, anyone who knows me 
knows that I've been banging the trade DeMontis Sabonis drum all season long. Uh, my main argument for it was you need to strike while the iron is hot because of him being a 25 year old two time all star. You're probably like the time to trade him was now, especially with the team having a down year. Um, they had a log jam in the front court. We always knew it was going to be between Miles Turner or DeMontis Sabonis who stays. They're going with Turner. Everything that I have read post trade had been that Rick Carlisle was pretty uneasy about wanting to run the offense through Sabonis. Rick Carlisle now gets a 21-year-old point guard in Tyrese Halliburton, who is currently 11th in the league in assists per game. I think he's third in the league in total assists. He's a 41% three-point shooter. That's good for 16th. I mean, I'd be sitting here for a while going through Tyrese Halliburton individual stats. He's just a great fit going next to Chris Duarte as the backcourt of the future for this team. Um, I love them bringing in Buddy Heald as a shooter off the bench. I know he's had a down year three-point shooting-wise so far. I know Jordan, I, I've seen a lot of Kings fans are excited to be off of his contract. Um, and I know there's talks of them potentially, uh, of the Pacers potentially moving Buddy Heald again before this trade deadline is over. But if that doesn't happen, I'm, I'm still happy to have him, see what he can bring for the rest of this season at the very least. And then Tristan Thompson, I fully expect to be bought out. Um, I don't see him playing many, if any, games in a Pacers uniform. Um, but, but yeah, overall, I'm just I'm really happy about one the fact that the Pacers are committing to a direction going forward, uh, and two the fact that they got a guy who is a year and a half removed from being a lottery pick and a guy that a lot of front offices are kicking themselves for not taking two years ago. So, yeah, it, it things are really good right now. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like this is uh this is peak uh Pacers fandom right now. Um or at least in my in my recent uh observations of them. I know that you guys have made some some good playoff runs and stuff like that, but uh this is awesome. This doesn't seem like you're kind of middling. Um I know you guys haven't had a pick inside the top 10 since 1989. When they took George McLeod, or nineteen ninety, I'm sorry, nineteen ninety, when they took George McLeod seventh overall. Yeah, and uh, and now things are starting to shape up a little bit. One question I have is, how do you see? Um, okay, so obviously we we kind of cleared out some of the the log jams that we had in the front court, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that makes a little more sense now. But did we create a log jam in the back court? Because we did just give a big contract extension to Malcolm Brogdon. And it seemed like a few years back, Malcolm Brogdon was kind of the Tyrese Halliburton of NBA Twitter. And people kind of talk about Tyrese Halliburton the way that they talked about Brogdon right after he won Rookie of the Year. And he was kind of this guy that could do it all. Um, how do you see that all playing out? Um, personally, uh, Brogdon's contract extension was only through next season. Um, so while he can't get moved, I know we've said it a million times, but he can't get moved this season. I fully expect the Pacers to involve him in some sort of trade, either around draft night to either move back up into the lottery potentially, um, to get like a third lottery pick for some reason that sounds crazy, but it's potentially, or just to make a move to unload him 
in the offseason or near next trade deadline. Um, I think the thing a lot of people forget is that Malcolm Brogdon is 29 already. He was a four-year player at Virginia. Um, so I, I think this this trade for Halliburton, that's Rick Carlos saying this is going to be our, our guy, uh, and Chris Duarte is going to be our, our two-guard. Um, they'll probably, I mean, they'll probably run some three guard sets with Duarte at the three. Um, cause he has proven to be a pretty solid defender. I mean, Halliburton has the length to defend out there too. He might, it might not be bulky enough, but you could see some funky lineups for the rest of the season. Um, especially with TJ Warren, really there being no timetable on him returning. Um, so short term, yes, there's going to be a log jam, but long term, I, I, I think you're going to see Brogdon moved in the not too distant future. Yeah. And, and Jordan is someone that has, um, I'm sure loved the last year and a half of watching Tyrese Halliburton. What is Joe going to have, uh, to look forward to for the next, I don't know what, six years. I'm sure after the, the contract extension, I, that might be hard to, that might be hard to hear, but oh, it sounds, it oh sounds boy. like they're going to have him for, you know, Let's say let's say roughly six years. Um. Yeah. So, oh man, I'm gonna try to not turn this into like a vent session. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I don't think there's a lot that I mean. Tyrese Halliburton is absolutely just the darling of NBA Twitter of all these NBA experts because of everything he, the little things he can do on the court. Um, you will get his numbers. Like he's just putting up really solid numbers. You know, fourteen and seven. Um, but I think if you look at his transition from where he was last year to even where he is this year, it's actually been pretty incredible. Um, obviously, we all know you're getting an elite playmaker. You're getting someone who's absolutely terrific in the pick and roll. He will, like, I think Miles Turner is going to benefit tremendously from having Terry Salaburn on his team. He'll be hitting him in the pick and roll. He'll be able to throw those lobs. He absolutely is just a completely cerebral player. And even beyond that, he's turned into a legit three-level scorer. Um, you know, I think coming into the season, there were concerns about a three-point shot. Is he going to be able to get it off? You know, he's a pretty slow release, kind of a low release. And it's kind of, last it's year, kind he, of ugly. It's it kind is. of an ugly shot, yeah. I think. I remember when he was drafted, there were videos on Twitter of him, like, catching the ball. And then he does, like, a quick adjustment, like a like a little, like, double-clutch grip. Kind of when he gets it, he spins it up, like a little bit. And we were all freaking out. Because we're like, what is happening? Um, has not been an issue at all. He shot, you know, 40-something percent from three last year. And this year, you know, he's right around the same 41, 42%. And he's added a step back. Being able to shoot off the dribble is something that I don't think we really expected, um, at least from three, going into this year. And he's added that to his game. It's been pretty remarkable. Um, even beyond that, I think you're getting one of the best dudes in the NBA. I don't think the Sacramento's ever had a player that was as likable as Tyrese Halliburton. Um, so yeah, when we talk about the Sacramento side, I think uh, talk about that a little more and try not to uh, not to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I think Halliburton has a hundred percent approval rating. I I would caution that like he might be just the slightest itty bitty <laughs> touch overrated. Don't say, don't say, don't say, oh, after I, I I just like. He's not exactly, he's not Shea yet. You know what I mean? Like, he's not quite there and everything. He is so, fantastic. So I would be over the moon to have him on my team. And and please don't let me take that away. I think it is a, a slam dunk knockout of the park. If I was a Pacers fan, 
I would be beside myself so happy. I, I, so please I, don't take that out of context. I, if I, no, I, I think that's a perfect way to put it, to be completely honest. Like, the way I view him, like, I am so elated to have him, like, in this trade. But I see him as, like, a, a building block piece. Like, he is the solid—him and Duarte are the foundation. Yeah. And then there, I think they're still going to need—I mean, you're going to need the dynamic wing to complete anything you do going forward, no matter how good Isaiah Jackson gets, no matter how good Miles Turner stays, gets, whatever he turns into, they're going to need a dynamic three. Um, yeah. That's without a doubt. Uh, but I, I mean, yeah, I just feel like the, the sky is the limit for Halliburton, but I don't think he's in the sky yet. He's, he's climbing though. Yeah. No, I, well, I, agree. Well, I, th- I think, I think that's why they made the trade though. Right. Because they're seeing mm-hmm. Tyrese Halliburton as, like you said, the sky's the limit. I will say this about Tyrese Halliburton. I think it's opened up a lot of eyes from a fan base perspective, especially as you've had kind of the dialogue shift from whether they should be building around Darren Fox or building around Tyrese Halliburton. Um, Fox has had a really weird season, so that's really put the spotlight on Halliburton. And I think he's really opened eyes, even, you know, last game. His last game as a king had 17 assists. Um, And I think the thing is going (laughs) to, yeah, I think the thing is going to separate him from being that legit all-star star star player. It's going to be a mentality thing. And that's the only thing I think that's held him back at times in Sacramento is this team really needed him to score every single night. And at times, he's a little passive. He's a pass-first point guard. He wants to get everyone involved. He makes everybody better. But that killer instinct, I think, is something that he has in him. He needs to find it more consistently. There was a game against Philadelphia where he had 38 points. I mean, he has it in him. I think it's just finding it consistently. When his team needs him to go get a bucket, he can do it. I think he just has to want to do it, and I think that's going to separate him from... That's going to ultimately be... Um, either what allows him to be an all-star or what holds him back. And if there's yeah. a coach that could get that out of him, I, I think Rick Carlisle is definitely one of those guys that can get him to get to that level. Um, yeah, point guards have always kind of been his uh, his focus. One, one of the things that I think he's focused on the most is coach. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so the, the kind of one-two punch or you know, his biggest running mate right now uh, is Miles Turner, who's still on the team. Joe, update, Miles Turner. I know that you uh, you couldn't have been higher on Miles Turner. I got to be honest. Uh, there is a report out there, um, verified by a lot of sources I trust, that the Pistons made an offer, uh, Jeremy Grant for Miles Turner, which was turned down. That is one that I must have uh, talked about with you mm-hmm. a, a dozen times. Um, I mean, just every single time Miles Turner is brought up, I well, I'll give you Jeremy Grant for him. Um, and it's real life. Um, update on Miles Turner. The only update that I have seen outside of him just making some absolutely, I don't know how else to say it other than just shit posting Instagram posts, um, it seems that he's in a great mood. I mean, Woj tweeted out that Turner gets to fully focus on playing center again, um, and he's apparently thrilled with the idea of playing with Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, I don't know who wouldn't, um, but he is. So all I can really say is, I guess, to, to Miles Turner, this is P, baby. Pacers are pushing P again for our boy. Um, I I am really excited, though, to see him go back into that natural center role. Uh, Mark Monteith, who writes for Pacers.com, 
uh, put this tweet out yesterday right after the trade went down. I mean, in the 50 game, 15, sorry, 1-5, 15 games that uh, Turner has played without Sabonis uh, over the last uh, couple seasons, he's gone for just over 15 points a game on 50% shooting, seven rebounds, two and a half blocks a game. That right there, I mean, if you can build upon those numbers based off the fact that Halliburton and Duarte are going to be your primary scorers now, that feels really good to me. Um, I know a lot of Pacers fans are freaking out because of the points that the Pacers are losing from uh, DeMontis Sabonis, but I'm going to counter with this. Tyrese Halliburton averages... Right now, I think about two points less per game than Sabonis, but averages those two extra assists per game. If those two extra assists are three-pointers, I think that ups the potential point value that he can provide you a game uh, to almost even out between what Sabonis was giving you with his assist numbers and points combined. Um, so I I feel really good about where this roster is heading, uh, especially with with Miles going back to being the just focal big man. And if they let Isaiah Jackson run with them too, that's just a freakishly long, crazy lineup. So I, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. If it doesn't work, we have this half season to find out that it doesn't work in an already throwaway year. So, Yeah, and, and now we're looking at a team that was kind of famously middling. Um, and, I, you know... I know we say it as kind of a bad thing, but I, I will say that like there is something to respect about a team that doesn't pick in the top 10 for 30 years, right? Since yeah. before I was born. That that just means that that team is consistently trying to win um, and, and doing a pretty decent job at it. So as much as I joke about it um, and, and about them being a middling team, I mean, they, they kind of have more of a clear plan now with a, a projected starting five that could run Halliburton, Brogdon, Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, Miles Turner. They also, you know, um, they also have TJ Warren in there. Um, we talked about this, you know, they're going to have three picks in that first 34 picks or so, 35 picks. Um, right now, where are they currently slotted in your, uh, your tankathon? I haven't done my spin tonight, but they're fifth when I look at fifth. the on the just the pre-lottery spin so that's that's good i mean I, yeah. I just don't see them hanging around in the lottery for many years this this seems like a team duarte is mature he's he's not a guy that's going to need a lot of time to develop in my opinion iris halliburton has already done a lot of that developing um miles turner's ready to go like you said malcolm brogdon's 29 tj warren we we've seen what he can do in the bubble he's ready to go if, if he's going to be part of this so um, it seems like having three picks in that top 35, having a top five pick, and having the young prospects like this uh, with, with some guys that are ready to go, it just feels like it is, uh, it is uh, the right way to do it. So Yeah, and I think if, it, just to kind of close so we can move over to the king side of things, I think the main message I would send if you're looking at this is that the Pacers are finally doing somewhat of a modern rebuild. They went from that smash mouth team with Paul George, David West, Roy Hibbert. They went from that into this weird transition with Victor Oladipo, but 
still running Sabonis and Turner into this build it around Sabonis and Turner, this two big lineup. Pretty archaic when you really think about it where the league is. Now they're buying in on outside shooting, playing from outside in, not relying on going inside out. Um, you, you just, I don't care if this fails. I'm just happy that they're finally trying it. Um, I think that's my my overall sentiment. They are trying to be a modern NBA team, finally. Um, yeah. So Indiana Pacers, welcome to the NBA in 2022. It's great to finally have you here. Yeah, and no longer the uh, the injury prone Indiana Pacers. The so. what the uh, what if this roster finally gets healthy? Era is officially over. <laughs> exactly. It feels great. Yeah. So let's let's move over to the other side of the trade. Jordan, you get the news. Halliburton's gone. We understand that that's heartbreaking. But you get Demontis Sabonis, who in, in the you know, the good year of 2022, Demontis Sabonis is the best player in this trade uh, right now. The Kings are better on February 8th than they were on February 7th. I understand why that would be a reason to be excited. Um, the Kings also got off Buddy Heald's contract, which was a three-year contract, uh, you know, over $20 million. And, uh, and kind of get rid of that that log jam that they had in the backcourt and add some some star power to that front court. So you get the news. What's your initial thoughts? Well my my initial thought was holy shit. I think <laughs> if I think that was my text. <laughs> yeah. I mean I'm in a little I'm a little King's group chat with uh with some of my friends and we just you know we were someone talk something i think it was actually funny one of my friends actually texts us oh my gosh the king's last all-star that morning or the king's last all-star was demarcus cousins so it's actually really funny that he uh that he actually texts wow. us that, that that morning no it was immediately just me texting them holy shit holy shit holy shit holy shit you guys you guys you guys you guys and i'm sure everyone looked at their phones everyone felt the same it was startling i think because i think if anyone on this roster which the dialogue coming from the team and coming from those who cover the team was that nobody is untouchable on this roster. Anyone is available, which I think when you are as bad as the Kings are, um, that's understandable. That is not surprising. Having said that, I think Halliburton was as close as it got to being untouchable on this team. Um, so trading him for DeMontis Sabonis, I think was surprising. But ultimately, you have to trade something to get something right so i understand halliburton's value at this point higher than De'Aaron fox's um and i am a huge sabonis fan i think he's really good he gives something that the kings have not had on their team in a very long time he's an elite rebounder he is a elite playmaker from the front court something the kings also haven't had um in a really long time uh but losing halliburton's tough you know he was like I said, it wasn't just about his production on the court. He was extremely likable. He was extreme. He he was the culture uh, the culture changer that this team desperately needed. They weren't winning yet, um, but I think a lot of his post game comments, he was committed to being part of that positive change. So I think that's the most disappointing thing for me is not being able to see Tyrese Halliburton actually see that change through. Um, 
And I heard he cried yeah. in the locker room. Uh, cried. Yeah, so yeah, I think, yeah, Matt Barnes, I think, said that in a pregame thing that Tyrese guy was tearing up, which I think everyone was surprised. And, you know, the one thing I want to point out and the one thing I want to say about this team and about, and I think this is kind of a lot of Kings fans feel this way, is that if anyone on the team is surprised that Halliburton got traded and they didn't think it was going to happen, uh, this is on them. They were bad this year, and they were way worse than they should have been this year. And so at that point, when you're that bad, you're not winning games. I, I mean, I don't know what they expect to happen. Um. I think when the front office said that everyone is available, I think, you know, they followed it up with, you know, a lot of people reporting that the Kings really do want to build around Fox and Halliburton, which I think is true. I think that's 100% true. But, you know, as a team, if you're not winning games, you're showing, you know, very minimal effort. You're not even competitive most nights. You know, this ultimately is on the players. It's on, you know, everyone involved who couldn't see this thing through. Yeah. Um, so our first Kings episode that we did um, before we had you on, one of the main things that we talked about was what is this team's timeline or what is their plan? You add Sabonis to the mix, a 25-year-old two-time All-Star. What's the timeline? Are you you're looking to push into the playoffs? Um, you're looking to push into the, the play-in? You're looking to get a top-five pick? Uh, well, well, I think the I think the key, like you said, Sabonis is only twenty five. Like that can mean a lot of things. I mean, I definitely think the Kings will try to push that play in. I think it's silly. I don't think that should matter when you are fifteen games below five hundred. Um, but you know, it's right there for them if they want it. You know, they're not far behind. The bottom of the West isn't very good. I think when you look at what the Pelicans did, you know, I think I've heard heard it called the semi arms race for the tenth seed, which is absolutely unhinged but um Sabonis being only 25 sets them up for you know the future he's under contract for a few more years so they could see how it goes this year and then obviously they'll have him next year personally if I were the Kings I would shoot as hard as I could to get a top five pick and throw that top five pick in there with Fox and Demondis Sabonis and then you finally have something interesting I think something that they have not had you know really going for them um I think that was a huge division between the front office and Kings fans who wanted the Kings to be a bit more methodical and look at their team and say, you have Fox, you have Halliburton, you just need to put the pieces around them. I mean, Harrison Barnes has been a popular trade target, you know, for other teams. I think Kings fans have been saying, see what you can get for Harrison Barnes. Buddy Heald has been someone the team has wanted to trade for really multiple off seasons. Um, Rashawn Holmes, you know, he was a valuable piece, you know, for the last two teams for the last two seasons. And now I think he's, you know, especially with Sabonis, he's clearly available. Um, and he's on, I a, think that, he's on a very affordable, movable contract. I think it's he's on a years, fine contract. Absolutely. 10 years, I don't, each, 10 years each year, uh, which I think he outplays, he outplays his contract, I think on a nightly basis. Or he's had a, he's had a really rough season. He's had a really rough season, mostly because he's had some really bizarre injuries. Um, but I mean, I don't think anyone would look at you know what Rashawn Holmes has done. Like I think there are plenty of teams, Toronto, um, even the Pistons, um, Charlotte, another big one. I think who had interest in Rashawn Holmes in the past. But right now, I think it's clear that the Kings want to win. I mean, you paired Jaron Fox, who people were 
projecting to have an all-star type season this year. You get him the best player he's ever played with. You know, before the best player he'd ever played with, you know, people were saying was Harrison Barnes, which, you know, wasn't good enough. Um, you know, I think people wanted that to be Halliburton, which I think was along the way, but now you have a bona fide two-time all-star for De'Aaron Fox to play with. And I think that's, you know, that's inherently exciting uh, yeah. for Kings fans and probably exciting for De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, and and another thing we talked about um, is kind of how De'Aaron Fox likes to play. And when I think about Sabonis and Fox playing, uh, one thing we talked about previously was that Fox obviously loves to push the pace, right? He is best in transition, um, just incredibly fast. But they were a really rough rebounding team. And it's really tough to push pace when you're not playing good defense and not rebounding because you can't really push the pace so much when you have to inbound the ball. Um, the inbounds, the, the rebounding piece is definitely improved. Um, with Sabonis, I think that I think that'll be nice. How do you see Sabonis and Fox playing together? Um, what do you What do you see on offense there? Yeah, you know, initially, I think on paper, at least in my head, I actually liked a Halliburton Sabonis pairing more. Um, the more I've listened to other people, and the more I've kind of read about it, I think a lot of people are actually excited about Jaron Fox and Sabonis, mostly because Sabonis is such a good passer from that high post. I think, you know, one of the criticisms of Jaron Fox's game was his, I don't know if it's inability or his unwillingness to really play off the ball effectively. I think with Sabonis, it's going to open up a lot for him to be able to cut off the ball, being able to spot up, because Sabonis is going to find those guys. It's some, he is such a terrific passer. Really, the whole team, not just Jaron Fox, you know, his, you know, his ability to set hard, you know, screens up on the perimeter, roll to the basket, pass out of that short roll. I think it's going to open up a lot for Jaron Fox, even though, you know, it may seem like they're both prefer to do their work in the paint. I mean, I think they're going to be able to find, um, find that medium between both of them to be able to use both of their playmaking to really feed off each other. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, as someone, I, I'm sure you haven't. Uh, tuned into a ton of Kings games this year as I haven't um, but as someone that you know has seen a lot of games with Sabonis anything you want to add on kind of what what the Kings are getting in their new all-star I think Jordan hit the nail on the head um, as to yeah. why I, this is such a good fit for the Kings um, Sabonis's passing ability is what's really going to open things up with the rebounding, I don't mean to sound like a broken record here, but I almost, this is like, I feel like you're going to start seeing Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox highlights kind of similar to Kevin Love when he was on the Timberwolves, just hitting those outlet passes off the rebound because of Fox's speed. I think you're going to see a lot of just really awesome cherry-picking plays from the Kings, uh, which that in itself, I think, brings a new facet to the game. It means opposing defenses are going to have to play a lot faster um so i do think this unlocks the speed of De'Aaron fox even more on the court my one concern is as i've kind of always said with sabonis he is a defensive liability he does tend to get into foul trouble a lot um jordan i have obviously i've not watched a ton of king's games so i don't know what their defensive 
setup typically runs to. I don't know if that's something they could potentially try and hide with him. I doubt it with the West having so many quality bigs, but um, that's one of my concerns. And then my other really big question I wanted to throw to you, Jordan, is by trading away Buddy Heald and Halliburton, the Kings now only have one three-point shooter that shoots over 40% in Harrison Barnes. That is my scary thing. Sabonis, God love him, he's tried to get that three-point number up, but it j- it's not clicking yet. Um, that's my only real cause of concern. I don't see an inside-out game between the two of them. Um, so if that could somehow develop, this is like a match made in heaven, I think, for De'Aaron Fox. Uh, to be completely honest. Sabonis so, so is definitely a battering ram, for sure. Yes. So so the foul troubles and not having the outside game definitely makes a lot of sense because he, he likes to just literally shove his body in, into folks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to touch on the defense first. Uh, okay. First of all, the Kings are the, maybe the worst defensive team I've ever seen in basketball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... It's kind of impressive when you watch them, actually. I think the Timberwolves last night actually shot 54% from three. I think they made 22 three-pointers. The team all season has not shown any interest in playing defense. They've had a scheme that sometimes they do things I don't necessarily agree with and how they play. I don't think they have the right personnel to play the scheme that they want to play at times. Um, So honestly, Sabonis on defense does not worry me at all because they are so bad before. I don't really care what he does now. Um, I can't imagine he's going to make them worse. Um, The three-point shooting, this is why the Sabonis move, in my opinion, can't be the only move the Kings make. Um, This is why also I think it's more important for next season than it is this season, is you're 100% right. The Kings do not have any shooters on their roster right now. They have Harrison Barnes, and now I think Justin Holiday has become their second-best three-point shooter. Yeah, um, he's shooting like 36% on the season, if I saw correctly. Yeah, um, yeah, I think not just Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald was really having a down year shooting the basketball, but the sheer volume he shot with, everyone still kind of had to you know, be wary of him on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, and Halliburton was, you know, he was their best shooter this year. He just was. Um so that's definitely something the Kings need to work on. I mean, I think Sabonis, like you said, Sabonis is going to try to hit some guys on the perimeter. Uh, inside-out game is something I'm excited for. Um, this season, I think the Kings are going to have to figure out how they're going to put shooters around, not just Sabonis, but De'Aaron Fox, which is something they've struggled to do really throughout Fox's career, was put consistent shooting around him. Um, you know, outside of two seasons of, you know, Buddy Heald and then Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, Harrison Barnes has been up and down, but mostly pretty good, but he's not had like the array of shooters. And I think with Sabonis, it just compounds the problem and that's something they're going to have to figure out. Yeah. Um, Any, any final thoughts on kind of how you feel the Kings have handled um, this trade deadline, the, the last year or two, uh, your whole childhood, how they've ruined your life, no. how they've drafted a primary ball handler every year, except for the one year they didn't draft Luca. Any any uh, any so closing thoughts? On I want to I want to stop you right there, Kyle, because I think there there is one thing to be said about this trade that I did see on Twitter right before we started recording. 
the King Street, this is the first time in franchise history they have traded for a multi-time All-Star. Um, and regardless, I, Jordan, I, I would imagine you maybe feel kind of the same way I felt when I said earlier, you know what, if it doesn't work out, you can't knock them for trying this move. Um, okay. Because yeah. that is a great player that they did trade for. So, so I will say, as a Detroit Pistons fan, making this about me, of course, <laughs> I was in the situation. We traded, uh, I, I mean, we made a trade of Tobias Harris and the pick that was Shea Gilgis Alexander, and we got Blake Griffin, right? We get our, like, we traded our mm-hmm. Tyrese Halliburton in Shea, and we got Blake. Um, and that was good enough for the eight seed. We got swept, but like those years, you know, I mean, those years where we were, we got into the playoffs and Blake could put up 50 points in a game and, and it was exciting. Um, and there was some hope and I could convince myself that like, you know what, we have a chance at maybe a six seed. Um, that was worth something. Right. And were we ever going to win the championship with Blake? Not even close. Not even close, but like, could we have potentially won a playoff game if he was healthy? Maybe. And I got to say, after losing for years and years and years, there is something to be said. I, I, I know it's about winning a championship. There is something to be said about having hope about winning a playoff game. So all, all jokes aside, I do feel like the, uh, the Blake trade is, is, a, uh, is a decent comparison for this one because i've been there and and the hope sometimes is just is good but sabonis is 25 right he's not he's not uh, blake griffin that kind of lost his jump he's uh he's entering his prime more so and i think and i think that's the important thing is the fact that they put he he and fox are really on the same timeline sabonis is 25 fox is 24 and I think the crazy thing is something that we didn't expect is the Kings traded for Sabonis and they did not give up any draft capital, which I think is really fascinating in this. Good point. Um, like I mentioned, like I mentioned before, like I, if the Kings get still somehow get a top five pick, I think now you're really cooking um, with Sabonis, Fox, and a top five pick. Whoever, whether it's you know Chet Holmgren, who I think would actually be really good next to Sabonis, or Jabari Smith, who's you know the dream, Boncaro <laughs> from Duke, like they're. Like they're if they get a top five pick, I think they finally will have a legit core um that isn't, you know, guard heavy that they can build around. Yeah. Um so so my initial thoughts, and I think and I hate to get all existential about this, but I think when you trade someone like a fan favorite and you trade um someone who you thought maybe was untouchable for an all-star, I think you really have to consider where your team is at. And Monty McNair's whole mission he's always talked about his goal is to get the team back to the playoffs. His team, you know, they wanted that all-star. They wanted to improve the team. We knew they were going to try to be aggressive in trades for the last couple seasons and nothing materialized. The most consequential move that he had made before this was not trading Bogdan Bogdanovich and actually mm-hmm. just letting him walk away to, um, to the Hawks, you know, not, you know, not for lack of trying, you know, he had that deal for Dante DiVincenzo, which, fell through he tried to trade buddy to the lakers which fell through um but i think the consensus for the fan base was monty mcnair had to do something you couldn't sit and just watch this team burn itself alive which is what they've really been doing all season um 
he waited so long towards the trade deadline, and so I think, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that, which is why I'm looking forward to next season rather than this season. I think the curious thing to me that I think about is the fact that I can guarantee you the Kings did not offer Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis first, and I am very confident they wanted to trade De'Aaron Fox. Um, I'm sure they went from Fox. I'm sure they went to Davion Mitchell. I'm sure they just tried salary filler and multiple picks. And ultimately, they settled on Tyrese Halliburton. And so what that tells me is that the Kings looked at their entire roster and were not confident in any single player already on their team that they could build around. And I think that's actually kind of interesting and kind of scary. And, you know, depending on how you feel about Jaron Fox, I am still a huge Fox fan. I still think he's really good. But they, I am pretty comfortable saying that they would have given him up for Ben Simmons, would have given him up for Sabonis, and the Pacers didn't want him, which is fine. So I think there's some soul-searching that I think the Kings have to figure out about why their roster was so bad this whole season. You know, they have Sabonis now, who, like I said, I think will help them get better, you know, immediately. Um, but ultimately, in my head, what this trade does, it actually puts a ton of pressure on Jared Fox. And not just De'Aaron Fox, it puts a ton of pressure on Davion Mitchell, who I don't know if they'll do, but I would just start him right now with De'Aaron Fox in the backcourt. I don't think they'll do that, but I think they should. Uh, but those are Monty Mc, you know, Davion was M- Monty's pick. You know, Monty McNair sacrificed his basketball firstborn to summon an all-star, and I think that's one of the most ruthless things that you know a GM can do, and he did it. Um, so you can look at it from two standpoints that one, it's reckless. It is a panic move. It also shows that he was committed to trying to try to improve this team because this team was in fact a disaster. So I think now the fact that the bonus is under contract for a few more seasons, Darren Fox is, you know, on a max contract. Those are your two guys need to figure the rest out. Yeah, I think that's super well said. And I love the part in there where you said, I'm excited about next season. And I think the fact that you got, like I said, a 25-year-old two-time All-Star, and you're not only excited about this season, but you're excited about next season, I think that right there is enough. You know, whatever trade grade you want to give it, whatever memes you want to throw at the Kings, the fact that you're excited about next season is huge. And the fact that Joe is so excited about the Pacers next season and the year after that and the year after that is huge and so for that reason i just think that this trade is a slam dunk across the board i think that it gets rid of both teams log jams they this team both these teams had a lot of talent one had a lot of talent in the backcourt one had a lot of talent in the front court they got together they said hey let's let's make a swap of of some talent let's trade some assets here and uh and i think both fan bases can can find a lot of reason to uh, to be really excited about this, so there will be um, a few a few people that are going to be upset, of course, in each fan base. But um, overall, I, I just think that this is a fantastic trade, one one that you would you would put in the trade machine and go, doesn't something like this make sense? Yeah, and, uh, and, and it goes through. So, I I the the more I've sat on it, like I I really do feel like this trade is a lot closer to a Mm win-win than the knee-jerk reaction that it was getting uh like 
and God love him. I think J.J. Redick has been fantastic for ESPN since he started there. But him saying this was malpractice by the Kings front office. Like, I get Tyrese is your guy, but let's let's chill for a second. Like, I, I really do think these are two franchises that traded away for the Pacers. They traded away their best player, Jordan. I don't know if you considered Halliburton your best player or at best least asset. one of your – Yeah, at least your best asset. They swapped best assets – that fill legitimate needs for the other trade partner. And the other contracts that were included were beneficial as well. I mean, Jeremy Lamb isn't expiring. Tristan Thompson is, again, like I said, expected to be bought out. Buddy Heald, that can be moved. Justin Holiday only has a year left after this season. So everything just makes sense on all fronts the more you look into this trade. So firm handshakes all around if I had to to grade it. (laughs) I agree. I think I think both fan bases um, should find should find reasons to be happy. So, um, if you want to argue that a, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush, or you know what, I'd rather have the upside guy or give me the talent guy right now. Um, I think you could listen to arguments for whatever side you want, but at, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, we got fans of both teams that are both excited about their futures, and, and so that that to me says that. Um, that that was a win of a trade. So uh, sure. I, I do want to move on to the next uh, biggest player that was traded, and that was C.J. McCollum. We finally see the Dame-C.J. era end in Portland, and C.J. is headed to the New Orleans Pelicans uh, along with Larry Nance Jr., who it was just reported um, that Larry Nance is having surgery and will be out up to six weeks and uh, Larry Nance was kind of a, a late addition to this trade. By late addition, I mean tweeted out like five minutes after the news broke. Um, but that's, I, I think that's a substantial piece in this, um, as well as Tony Snell, um, who is a not so substantial piece as, as, <laughs> as someone that had Tony Snell as their starting uh, forward for, for a year. Um, but CJ McCollum is headed to the Pelicans. This is just like you said, Jordan. It's kind of that arms race for the tenth seed. Do you do you think that they can get to the play in? Do you think that they uh, do you think that they make it all the way to the playoffs with this team? Now that they have kind of the, uh, I don't even know if I can call it a a big four. They have a four, right? Of Zion, Ingram, uh, McCollum. They have Devonte Graham. Um, so, do you, you think they make it to the playoffs with this? Uh, I mean, I would have to look at the I have to look at the seating and see who they're playing. <laughs> but my gut reaction, I mean, there's some matchups I think they're better than the others. You know, if the Lakers are in there, I mean, at this point, I think anyone's gonna has a chance against the Lakers <laughs> who might just self who might just self destruct at any given moment. But they're honestly, curr- they're currently the tenth seed. If so they if would the play, season- they would play the Lakers yeah. in yeah. the first play-in I mean, game. I mean, at this point, anyone playing the Lakers, I would say I have a, they have a chance. Yeah. But I, on paper, I actually really like McCollum on this team. Um, with Ingram and Zion Williamson, I think the whole problem is that I don't think anyone has any idea what's going on with Zion. And unless you were certain that Zion was coming back this season, I do not, not quite sure why you trade for CJ McCollum. Um. I think going forward, McCollum, Zion, and Ingram provided that Zion's body doesn't just collapse underneath him. 
I think that team is going to be pretty good going forward. I love Brandon Ingram. I've always thought he was, you know, an incredibly good player. Yeah. But I think in t- considering the context, I think it's kind of clunky and kind of a short-sighted move from the Pelicans. Um, and, you know, from a Blazers perspective, I think they were two years too late Yep. when it comes to trading CJ McComb. Yep, coming off of that uh, that bubble run, right when they made the uh, the fi- the Western Conference Finals, I mean that was the hottest backcourt in the NBA, and McCollum could have fetched you a, a pretty penny. And we'll get into the Blazers and what they got back in return. Um, Joe, do you see it the same way? Do are you, do you think it's a bit nearsighted? Um, What's what's kind of your outlook on the Pelicans today after after the my, trade? My my main takeaway after them making this trade is this just feels like David Griffin trying to convince Zion, hey, we are we're trying to build for you, man. Like CJ McCollum still got a few good years left in him of some ball. I think this is kind of David Griffin trying to elbow Zion to be like can you get that rehab under control and get back on the court? Because we've got some pieces for you now. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Jordan said, I love Brandon Ingram. I, I think um, CJ McCollum and Brand- McCollum and Brandon Ingram. While that's going to be a lot of sticky basketball. That's a lot of points going into the bucket. Um, it, uh, so I just, I like the move from the Pelicans, but I am also, I agree with Jordan. I do think we're a couple years too late on a McCollum trade. Uh, but I have some thoughts on what the Blazers did that I think just makes me feel better about them trading him now, but we will get into that when we talk about the Blazers. But uh, yeah, as of right now, yeah, I think the New Orleans Pelicans, are they a better team because of that? Yes. Uh, I like them kind of in the same vein as the Pacers and Kings. They cleared out a log jam at the point guard position um, by moving Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Um, so that's another plus. Uh, so I, I guess we'll see. Again, I, I mean, kind of like what Jordan was saying about the Kings. I I don't understand shelling out for an arms race when this is a really good draft class coming in. Um, but you know what? It, to counter that with your point, Kyle, the Pelicans, they are a franchise. Like, their fan base needs to see some sort of playoff success. They've been teased. It feels like for the last half decade now, especially after the Anthony Davis debacle, it, that fan base does deserve some sort of good luck when it comes to postseason. So, I don't know. I'm kind of just shrugging at it at this point. If this was two years ago, I'd probably be a little more excited. But I think it's a fine move. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if you know if this does if this doesn't end up working out, McCollum getting moved again in the near future. But for now, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, I think that. I think that the Pelicans saw that they won four straight. Now, their competition, they beat Detroit once, they beat Houston twice. I'm, I'm personally not throwing a party for that win streak. Um, but, you know, they, they, they win four in a row. They are currently the 10th seed. And I think, just like what you said, Joe, I think that they saw a bit of a logjam um, with some of their guards. I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker... Um, Coming out of college was was like a NBA Twitter darling for sure. I think that people saw some huge upside with him. Something that we haven't necessarily seen um, actually form on the court as much as I would have anticipated. 
but we know that obviously they like Devontae Graham, someone that they that they acquired this offseason, um, who I think can can be a good shooter, you know, um, without being super ball dominant, which this team has plenty of ball dominant people. But they also have Kyra Lewis, and now they have Jose Alvarado, um, who it seems like they like, and he's been playing well for them. He's been kind of a fun little story for them, um, and so I, I think that they're I think that they're good with uh, with a lot of those those ball handlers, and you don't need a, a ton of necessarily like uh, primary ball handlers on a team that has Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, because in theory. Brandon Ingram can definitely be the primary ball handler. Zion can be a primary ball handler. We know that McCollum can can be a secondary ball handler. So like, they don't need someone to like fully, fully, you know, set up uh, set up this whole offense or anything like that. I think that McCollum can be more of an outside shooter, and Devontae Graham can can play the role of kind of just an outside shooter. Um, and I think that they can let those forwards really do a lot of, a lot of playmaking, um, and to me that that sounds great on paper. Um, but they are missing their their number one piece in Zion. Um, Brandon Ingram's done a fantastic job, averaging twenty three and five, um, which you know kudos to him. He I mean he's really stepped up. He's been he's been good. So. Um, if this team can can get healthy at the right time and keep going while they have Zion out and while Larry Nance is recovering from his surgery that just got announced, yeah, I think that you know that they could compete for that for that last play on, playoff spot. And um, if you're New Orleans, I mean, I think it might be bigger than just like, are we going to make the playoffs? Or are we not? Like, are we going to lose our star player? Are we going to lose our franchise? You know, like they are they are fighting for their life right now. Literally, Zion, if Zion just walked away, would anyone be that shocked? He just said, I'd rather play in New York. I'm not going to do this anymore. I wouldn't I wouldn't have been that shocked. Like if the news broke loosely, he's barely played so far. (laughs) Right, right. But, you know, if, if in if in a few years, the news broke that the Pelicans were moving to like Vegas or something. Would you be that shocked? No. I wouldn't. So I think the Pelicans have a lot on the line here. Um, and and I just think that they're kind of playing with a, a different set of rules than some of the other teams in the league. And, um, you know, it's it, it's a little bit different where it's like, oh, we'll just rebuild and we'll worry about our, you know, 2025 team and stuff like that. And the Pelicans are like, I hope we have a team in 2025. So... Um, I, I definitely get the desperation in it, and um, you know, you you, you got to try something. CJ McCollum is at the end of the day, CJ McCollum's a top ten shooting guard in the league for sure. Um, but I mean, he's not tenth. He's probably not ninth. He's probably not eighth. Like he's he's one of the better two guards in the league. So um, anytime you can add that kind of talent to the team, I know it's expensive, but you know, I don't, I don't hate it. So good on the Pelicans for, for giving it a shot. It did come at a cost though. So in this trade, they send out Josh Hart, Tomas Sadoransky, Nikhil Alexander Walker, 
um, and, and some more little filler there. Um, I mean, Josh Hart is, you know, Josh Hart's probably the the only player of note there. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, we'll talk about in just a moment. He's already been moved. Um, I mean, anyone, you know, anyone really care about Josh Hart right now? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> you, you, know, you know, in terms of the value they actually gave up, I actually think the Pelicans did really well. I don't think any of those players... Yeah, you know, compared to CJ McCollum and getting Larry Nance back, you know, Larry Nance, I think just said that he's going to undergo surgery, so he actually probably was going to be out this year. But, um, I, you know, the lottery pick is the only thing, you know, that they probably will give up, and if they don't give it up, they're going to be, you know, obviously a okay with that because they're, you know, they'll have their lottery, they'll have their draft pick, and they'll be in the playoffs. Um, so. The only thing I will say is that in hindsight, as how silly, I mean, it was silly at the time, but how silly does it look when they trade Alonzo Ball to the oh. Chicago Bulls? They had Lonzo I, Ball and Drew Holiday. Like, if, if, if they just did nothing, just did nothing, and it was just Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, and Zion, like, that is the be- that's the best team you could put. Like, that's the best version. I think if they would have made a swap, like a, a deadline swap for Holiday for CJ McCollum. Sure. Even then, you're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's that's a that's a hypothetical for uh, for a while. But I do have a fun fun one though for you guys before we yeah. move on from the Pelicans. We we uh, kind of talked about this as of right now. If the season ended today, they would be in the play-in against the Lakers. They have a chance to knock Anthony Davis out of the playoffs. Oof. And how sweet of a win would I mean they I feel like they could get swept in the first round, but if they knocked Anthony Davis out, how sweet of a win would that be for the New Orleans franchise? That'd be nice. I'm sure Brandon Inger That'd would be, love it. I mean you saw yeah. uh, you saw Josh Hart sitting courtside right after he got traded, sitting courtside at, at Wearing the, the Ingram game. jersey. Yeah. Wearing the Ingram jersey after, you know, they went through that. They went through that uh, kind of tumultuous, just dangling um, by the Lakers, and you know, trying to get Anthony Davis and everything. And um, so, yeah, that was cool to see. I think. Um, yeah. But the Blazers, the Blazers have been busy. Okay. Yeah. They shipped out Norman Powell and Robert Covington. That was on uh, February fourth. They sent both of them to the Clippers. Norman Powell is a nice piece. Um, we're not going to really get into this. We we can make this quick, but Norman Powell is is not nothing. Okay, I that's that's the third best player on that team, um, and I think that's I think that's kind of by far. So good on the Clippers. I mean, if that team was healthy with Norman Powell too, whew, that yeah, that's cool to see. Um, but the Blazers in return get a. Pretty weak haul of Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a future second. But we let's get let's get the full picture and then let's take a look at it, okay? Yeah. They then make another trade. The Blazers send out Nikhil Alexander Walker, who they just got, and Wancho Erna Gomez. Uh, the Spurs get Tomas Sandaransky, who the, the Blazers just got from the Pelicans. Uh, the, the Spurs also get that second-round pick. And then the Blazers end up with Joe Ingles, who's out for the season on an expiring. 
He's not coming back this season. He's he's gone. Uh, Elijah Hughes and a second round pick. This is really just a salary cap dump. So when all the dust settles, the Blazers end up with Bledsoe with a year left on his contract, non guaranteed. Justice Winslow with a year left on his contract. Keon Johnson on a rookie deal. Josh Hart with two years left on his contract, both non guaranteed. I would assume they pick that up, but they have the flexibility. Uh, and then a few more expirings. So, uh, Joe, looking at this big picture, what do you see? Uh, what do you see with the Blazers here, big picture? Um, really, Kyle, if I have to say I see anything, it's actually something that you saw that you pointed out on our Twitter earlier today um, about how yeah. the after this move or out of all all these moves, really, the Blazers will have only fifty nine point seven million guaranteed on the books for next year, giving them over sixty million dollars in cap space for roster flexibility. Mm. That is, you know, for a team that we've kind of hounded on, you don't have the draft capital or the draft assets. Great way to actually can to actually commit to this retooling that they want to do around Dame is to free up the cap space. So uh, kudos to the Blazers front office. It feels weird saying that because of everything that's gone down with that front office over the last calendar year. Um, I don't really feel good about saying kudos to the Blazers front office, but Kudos to them, because these are some really savvy moves that they've made. Uh, I would say if I had to give an early biggest winner of the trade deadline, I would actually say it's the Blazers for freeing up this amount of space to rebuild around your superstar uh, to make one final run with him. So uh, good on the Blazers. It, it is crazy how when you look at each trade, I don't like any of them, right? Sending mm -hmm. out Nikhil Alexander-Walker and getting back Joe Ingles in a second – just looking at that, you think that's bad. Okay, that is yep. a ba that seems like a bad trade. Sending out C.J. McCollum and Larry Nance and getting Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander Walker, you're like, eh, that's not great. The Clippers trade, I think, was probably the worst one of them all. And the most interesting think, piece in that is Keon Johnson. And I know Jordan, yeah. you wanted to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get Keon Johnson. Yeah, yeah, no one's no one's uh mentioned Keon Johnson, and I think people kind of forgot, you know, how early in the draft process he was kind of an unknown, a projectable, maybe two-way player, hyper athletic, very raw. But he's kind of just a lottery ticket that you can have, and maybe he turns into something. Maybe he doesn't. I don't think right now, in terms of an asset, I don't think there's much there. But like, you never know. Um, like Joe said, that salary dump is going to be the key. I think I'm struggling to see what they realistically could do with that salaries uh with that with their newfound salary cap space um i mean they have two first round draft picks now they have their own which is actually looks like it's going to be protected i'm on tankathon right now actually doing a quick scan and then they'll have the <laughs> pelicans pick actually which you know assuming the pelicans don't make the playoffs they will have that, um, that conveys uh if the pelicans are between five to 14 yeah right so, oh man, I mean, if the Pelicans jump, um, the, the, the thing I think is going to be is whether this is going to be an actual hard reset around Dame Lillard or they're just going to look to see what they can get for Damian Lillard. Maybe Damian Lillard looks at them in the offseason and says, I don't see what the plan is here. And then all of a sudden, you know, Daryl Morey comes calling offering Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard. Which yeah, I would personally I, I, love. <laughs> I mean, if that's the route that Damian Lillard wants to go, if 
you know, I don't understand how the Blazers don't do right by him. And if that's the case, I'm absolutely looking at a deal for Ben Simmons because I think that's the perfect piece, at least to send to Portland. Then you have a young all-star, and you can at least kind of see what you can put around him. And Anthony Simons is actually really good. Really good. I and, think he's yeah. someone that people aren't really talking enough about. Um, he's a good player. But, you know, as far as the big picture, besides clearing salary cap space, I'm not quite sure what the plan is with Damian Lillard. Yeah, I would assume Josh Hart, you know, they had about, what, uh, $60 million, right? That's what we said, that they could mm-hmm. get to with uh, with non-guaranteed contracts and all that stuff. I would assume they pick up Josh Hart's $13 million, okay? So that would bring him to $47 million. They're going to extend the, the, uh, the qualifying offer to Anthony Simons. That's another $6 million. If the season ended right now, they'd have the eighth and the ninth pick. I think that, you know, I think that with that, they'd still have about $30 million to go out and get DeAndre Ayton, Miles Bridges, whatever you want to do. Um, and then, you know, if you have the eighth and ninth pick, you throw that together with Nas Little and Josh Hart, eighth pick and the ninth pick. And you can get yourself another, you know, $30 million player. And all of a sudden you have Dame Lillard, you have Anthony Simons, you have you, whoever, uh, DeAndre Ayton or Miles Bridges. And then you have one other guy. And all of a sudden the roster is more balanced. It's not as backcourt heavy. Um, it's fresh, which obviously this team just needed a refresh, right? And then they also have young assets if they do this for a year and then they say and then Damian Lillard says ah I'm out I'm not doing it anymore you're still gonna have guys like Keon Johnson um and Anthony Simons and stuff like that so um I think it's a good way of doing it for sure I think they're kind of just stripping it down as bare bones as they can let's just get as much flexibility as much cap space as much everything assets let's get all of it and let's kind of see what our options are you could talk to Dame. What does Dame want to do? And then also, if there's some freak accident where Dame says, you know what, I'm fully out. Okay, well, you didn't just commit to some crazy three-year, $23 million buddy healed contract. No disrespect or anything like that. But this is not, <laughs> right, but like if Dame leaves, you don't want a contract like that. You know what I mean? You just want your books clean. You want it to be clean. Let's get down to it. Um, but if Dame wants to stay, you also want your books clean. There's just, this is really, really a good situation where they have a lot of options. And I would say that a week ago, I would have told you Portland is a team with just about the least amount of options. They are handcuffed, no draft picks, no real assets that I see them moving on. It's just CJ McCollum and that's it. Yeah, I guess I guess my whole thing is I just don't under I don't think Dame maybe he will like Dame has proven just to be a loyal guy. He wants to be in Portland. He's given them every opportunity to build a team. The best team they had, you know, was when they just had Dame, CJ, I think Nurkic, and they just put a bunch of wings around them, a bunch of switchable three and D players, and that team was pretty good. And that team was actually fun to watch. I think it's going to be tough for them to find an avenue to find Dame a partner who actually makes them a legit contender in the West. And if Dame doesn't, you know, if he's fine with that, if he's fine being a, you know, a playoff contending team, being the eighth, seventh, maybe sixth seed, then yeah, I think there's an avenue to get there. Um, 
you know, even at their height, I don't think the Blazers were much better than that. You know, they went to the Western Conference Finals, but I don't think anyone thought of them as an actual championship contender, as fun as that would have been. In eight um, attempts. So, you know, it took it did take eight sure. attempts, you know, with the same core kind of. So. so, so I mean, some of the players you mentioned, you know, I love DeAndre Ayton. That would be fun. That'd be fun for sure. Um, I love Miles Bridges. I think he's, I think he's a really good player. I don't think any of that is enough to, you know, look at Dame and be like, you know, Dame is going to look at that and say, am I staying for this? Maybe because, you know, that's just kind of his mentality. He wants to win in Portland. But if I am Portland in reality, like I would look at Dame and be like, this is our plan. I don't know how we're going to put an actual championship contending team around you. And I would look at the, I would look at the Sixers and I would honestly say like Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey. And then all of a sudden you, you know, you have two young players who now you, you know, have some players under contract for a long time who are young enough to perhaps get better draft picks. See what you can do with that. You have that option now with that flexibility. But, you know, honestly, after this last week and all this talk about uh, how Dame rides for his team and he goes down with the ship and everything, I think that if you put out Tomas Sadoramski and injured Joe Ingles' body and just laid it on the court, I think Dame <laughs> would go out there with a smile and play for the Blazers. I genuinely do. I don't think that he's going to request a trade anymore. I thought he would get to a point... Um, kind of like uh kind of like Westbrook did right where it was like kind of just this mutual like peaceful it's time to move on it's yeah. time to move on and no and no one thought a single bad word when Westbrook was like I'm I'm moving on everyone was like you know what good for you yeah you did that franchise right and you move on and you go um but I I don't know if I even see Dame leaving I mean I think I think that he legitimately legitimately just wants to stay at this point if i'm gonna come blazers, in i'm sorry let me just throw one thing if you were the blazers would you want to trade him no no, no. all right okay. no I, but this sets up something perfectly that i'm going to suggest just because after what we have witnessed specifically with the king's pacers trade there is one thing that i would not be shocked would happen that I think would shock people. If the Blazers package one of those first-round lottery picks, the eighth or the ninth, and then they have two second-round picks, and they do some sort of sign-and-trade with Anthony Simons to go get that complimentary piece to Dame. I think Blazers fans would lose their minds in a bad way if that happens. That's a terrible throwaway of assets. But if that's their contingency plan to be like, this is how we immediately just go right back all in. I think that's something to keep on the radar. I think it is. I think the odds of it happening are slim. But, hey, when we met a couple weeks ago, we didn't even think about suggesting Tyrese Halliburton getting traded. So I I do feel like that's something to kind of maybe have on your radars of, oh, maybe they do a sign-in trade with Anthony Simons with with one of those picks. I just What about... What about uh... The two first and Bledsoe is expiring for Jeremy Grant. Yeah, that feels like an. I mean, I mean, Jeremy Grant doesn't do anything. I think on a team. That's what they're asking for. That I'm, I'm just fair. telling you what, what it's yeah. reported that they're asking okay. for. I mean, is, is two I, I wouldn't I'm do that as the Blazers. 
Yeah. But, but, but yeah. on the just on the Jeremy Grant thing, really quick, and I think just to talk about the Kings really quick. We've been talked about as the most one of the most aggressive teams for Jeremy Grant. That all of a sudden kind of makes some sense. Yeah, I I will say that Jeremy Grant made the Olympic team because there was two people that wanted him to be on the Olympic team. Especially, they asked they asked these two people. They said, "Who do you want to be in, in one of these last spots?" And they asked KD, and they asked Dame. And Dame was one of the people that was very, very high on Jeremy Grant and, and specifically requested Jeremy Grant to be on the Olympic team. Um, and so, obviously, I'm biased on it. Obviously, I want first-round picks. Uh, you know, all of that is obvious. But it is also well-documented that uh, Dame is also irrationally high on Jeremy Grant's value. Um, and so maybe it's not two first round picks. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a first in Bledsoe's expiring. I don't know, um, but I'm just I'm just letting you know um, what I've heard. Um, I guess we'll see, right? I guess that's uh, that's what we'll see, and I'm sure we'll be talking more on our second part of the uh, of the the podcast, which you guys can check out tomorrow. That uh, that's gonna wrap it up but uh, before we go anything else that we got guys yes uh we can't leave i mean the three of us are together we can't leave without us doing our church of tankathon spins oh let's for the do night it. yeah you got it pulled up jordan holy yeah i got it I we have a new it. number i don't even have to hit the spin <laughs> button right now i don't have to hit the spin button it, i'm i'm my team's number one i don't want to hit it but i'll do it i'll start us off okay all right my one spin we're fifth pick Damn it. Damn it. Damn it, Joe. Jordan, I will let you go next. All right, let's send this lottery. We're currently slated for six. Let's see what happens. Number one, baby. No shot. I love it. I love that for you. He's lying. He's lying. And I am not. Jabari Smith, let's go. Screenshot. Pacers get number two on my spin, boys. All right. Shatter Palo, come on home. Come on home. All right. (laughs) Well, well, that is going to do it for the... uh, Part one of the trade deadline episode. Jordan, appreciate you coming on. Where can we uh, where can we check out your King's excitement and misery? Yeah, you you guys can follow me on Twitter if you want. It's full of just nothing but King's angst and me talking about Star Wars. <laughs> you can <laughs> you can follow me. Just my initials is J M B H A N J I. Um. Yeah, we'll just see all, see all my shitty takes. <laughs> Love it. Joe, uh, anything else before we get out of here, my man? Yes, I would just like to give an official rest in peace to the What If They Got Healthy era, uh, October 23rd, 2019 to February 8th, 2022. The roster that was built to be Malcolm Brogdon, Victor Oladipo, TJ Warren, DeMontis Sabonis, and Miles Turner never actually played a game together. Mm. Or I'm sorry, the Victor Oladipo version did, the Karis LeVert version did not. A fitting end to a not so uh, fitting roster. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night. Thanks for listening to Shot Callers. Make sure to subscribe to the 48 Minutes Network wherever you're listening to your podcast and leave us a review if you like what you're hearing. Also be sure to give us a follow on Twitter over at 48 Minutes Network. I'm gonna stop and give you all the love